Our reading today is from Philippians chapter 1, verses 1 to 18. Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are at Philippi, with the overseers and deacons, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine for you all, for you all making my prayer with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. And I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. It is right for me to feel this way about you all, because I hold you in my heart, for you are all partakers with me of grace, both in my imprisonment and in the defence and confirmation of the gospel. For God is my witness, how I yearn for you all with the affection of Christ Jesus. And it is my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment, so that you may approve what is excellent, and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel so that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to the, all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. And most of the brothers, having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. Some indeed preach Christ from envy and rivalry, but others from goodwill. The latter do it out of love, knowing that I am put here for the defence of the gospel. The former proclaim Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, but thinking to afflict me in my imprisonment. What then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed, and in that I rejoice. The word of the Lord. Well, we're starting a new series through the book of Philippians and so we are going to look at Philippians over the next eight weeks leading up to Easter and the title of this uh, series is called Joy In because one of the things that you'll recognize about the book of Philippians is you will hear the word rejoice or joy multiple times. But before we delve in directly into these passages, in these verses that we've read, I think we need some background. It's always good to kind of know what's going on and what's happening and what's taking place. So this is a letter to Philippi, and we know that Paul visited there during his second missionary journey. You can read about that in Acts chapter 16. Now, interestingly enough about this church, it was really founded by two families that Paul had an engagement with, that he had an interaction with. One of them is Lydia, who is a woman who was probably Greek or Roman and had been converted to Judaism. So she had moved over and had become a Jew, not by birth, but by affiliation and joining that religion. So she believed in one God. She had moved away from that sort of pagan uh, multi-God system that her, she had grown up in. And she is there, and she encounters Paul, and she becomes a Christian. She becomes a follower of Christ and recognizes it, really for, in the context of Acts, recognizing it as the fulfillment and the continuation of what she'd already moved to in Judaism. But she recognizes it as this fulfillment, which at that time most Jews did not. 
So here's this woman. She appears to be a woman of means. She appears to have a house of her own. And it says that she and her whole entire household, everybody within it, become followers of Christ. The second kind of family that joins that group is this uh, guard, this jailer that is there, that becomes a Christian when Paul is there in prison. And he is obviously not coming to Judaism. He has been a Greek or a Roman, and he's there, and he becomes a follower of Christ. So we have a woman and a former jailer, or maybe stays a jailer, as the bedrock for this church. Now, it's interesting that we recognize Philippi as a place that had this great sort of reverence for the Roman emperor. So the cult of the emperor was huge in Philippi. As a matter of fact, it was one of the things that they worshipped the most. Outside of all the pantheons of gods that they could choose, they wanted to make sure that they were on the good side of the Roman emperor, so they worshipped him. And that sort of set the society off in a very unique pattern, where they were set by worshipping this power that was in Rome. What Paul's going to do throughout the whole book of Philippians is he takes words that have been used and probably seen as unpopular or not worthy of having, and he makes them new. And so we're going to see a new vocabulary that comes out and new positioning that takes place and a new attitude that we will have as we grow in this. And really all of that is summed up by the idea of joy. So what we'll see over the next eight weeks is joy in the gospel advancing, joy in life and death, joy in living for the other, joy in strong relationships, joy in a responsive rest to Christ's righteousness, joy in reconciled relationships, joy in the way of peace, and joy in shared living. But today we're going to look at joy in the gospel advancing. How many of you have ever been part of something that you weren't quite sure what it was when you began, but by the end you realized it was maybe something you didn't want to be involved in? Were you ever invited to somebody's house for dinner? And once they had you there, They said, that was a lovely dinner, wasn't it? And you said, yes, it was lovely. We really appreciate the invite. It's great. I mean, we should have gotten together a long time ago. And they look at you and say, we've got an opportunity we'd like to talk to you about. And all of a sudden, they bring out all sorts of materials for you to join them in this great new product that will change your life. And they invite you into what is commonly known as multi-level marketing. Now, let me just say, if you're a multi-level marketer, God bless you. It's not a sin. It's not from the pits of hell by any stretch of the imagination. Let me just say, as a pastor, it would be great if you were honest and not invite people over under false pretenses. Just say... I'd like you to join me in Deuterra. I'd like you to join me in Amway. I'd like you to join me in Melaleuca. I'd like you to join me in Arbonne. I'd like you to join me in whatever 
It is. Can you tell I've been invited to a few things? Or that I've been involved in a few things. What we sometimes see is an advancement of things that happen in the world. We hear that and we think, oh, they're just trying to advance themselves in their business. Like, because if I get people underneath me and people underneath me and people underneath me, then, then I grow my business, right? The more people I get underneath me, the more I grow. And I think sometimes in our minds, and particularly in the world, they think that that's what we're doing with Christianity, with our relationship with God. That it's really about us getting people underneath us and people underneath us. And that raises us to higher levels of excellence in God's eyes. And so I invite people over to my house and I say, have I got an opportunity for you? When I really don't care about their souls or their hearts or who they are, I just need to get somebody underneath me so my downline is more productive. And if it's really good multimedia, multi-level marketing, then that means that by the end of it, I really don't have to work anymore because I got all these other people working for me and I get the benefits. So when I say gospel advancing, that's not what I mean. <laughs> Being a follower of Christ is not a scheme. It's not a way for us to pursue getting to higher levels of acceptance. It's an understanding that we're already accepted, as is those that we come in contact with who are in Christ Jesus, who he is calling out to. And so it's not about getting more people on my team. It's about recognizing that we are all in Christ. And that's what... Paul means when he's talking about the gospel advancing. There's three areas that we see the gospel advancing in these passages. The first is self, the second is community, and the third is beyond. We see that because it's affected Paul. It's changed his life. Look at how he introduces himself. Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are in Philippi and also the overseers and deacons. Now that word servant is actually the word slave. We've made it a little more palatable for our English ears by saying servant. But it's slave, and it means bonded to. It means I can't break free from this. It means that I am here and can only be here. So Paul, who was one of the smartest men, a, a, a man who was uh, above renown in, uh, among Judaism as he was growing up in it, a man who was recognized for his fever to even persecute the church, is changed, and he no longer sees himself as the smartest man in the room when he walks in. He sees himself as a slave to God. Not a slave to the people, but a slave to God. Not a slave to a program, but a slave to God. He feels bound completely and utterly. But it's not a slavery that is one of oppression. It is actually a slavery, now catch me, of freedom. That says, in being bound to Christ, in Christ, then I am set free. But I don't want to lose those chains. <laughs> I don't want to go away from that because I have now been engrafted and put in Christ. I am His and He is mine. 
And so the gospel advances in ourselves when we begin to recognize that I'm unworthy, but I am made worthy, that I'm dead, but now I'm alive, that I'm blind, but now I see, that I couldn't hear, but now I can, that I couldn't speak, but I sing of the glories of God because I'm bound to him. But not only that, he recognizes I'm not just a slave, but I'm also a saint. Because in saying saints all there, he's also referring to himself and Timothy because they have been there. And a saint is one who has been set apart and made holy, who's been called out and sent. Not in some hierarchical sort of caste system that sometimes we get in our minds when we think about saints, right? Sometimes for us, when I will say the word saint, you will think of a really holy, righteous, incredible person. If you have grown up in the Catholic Church, then you, when you hear saints or the Orthodox, Eastern Orthodox Church, when you hear saints, you have a different thing that comes to mind. You know that there takes a process to become a saint, that the Pope has to approve that you become a saint, that there has to be some sort of miracle that has taken place for you to become a saint. And so when we hear the word saint, sometimes we go, oh, well, there must be a higher level. There must be those who are above us. That's not what he's referring to here. As a matter of fact, we see later when he says that you are partners in the gospel with me, he demolishes sort of that understanding of caste sainthood and says, no, that all of us who are in Christ are brought together and the gospel advances that way. That all of us who are in Christ. So first it has to take place in ourselves. And there's a reason why we see that fruit being bared out. The, the second thing that we see is that it takes place in community. The gospel advances in community. He mentions quite clearly that you are partners in the gospel with me. It is because you are with me and I long for affection towards you. Not infection, that would be bad. Affection towards you. That God himself has brought us together. That he is the one who builds us up. So the gospel advances within my own heart, and then it also advances within a community. It is bringing all those people together and building them together in a way that proclaims the gospel out loud. And then we see it takes place beyond. Listen, this is amazing. He says, I want you to know, this is verse 12, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel so that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to the rest, all the rest, that my imprisonment is for Christ. When the gospel advances, it doesn't just stay in my own heart. It can't. It doesn't just stay in the community. It pushes out beyond so that all people know that the gospel is advancing, that they know that God is active still, that his relentless pursuit to make whole relationship with himself, with ourselves, with all others, and with place does not stop. It can't. And so it goes beyond our walls, it goes beyond our community, and it goes to other communities who are like-minded, who are pursuing the gospel. That's why we join together with Church Frio and Freedom City. I get to meet with those guys a lot more than you guys get to hang out with them. And let me just tell you, the gospel is moving within Fremantle. There are things that are happening that God is doing that is incredible. And you're part of that. It's exciting to know that Christ will not allow his gospel to fall flat. That it keeps 
moving forward. And Paul is saying, look, what looks bad is not. It is good. It is good. So how does it, how, how, how do we see the gospel advancing? What does it really look like? In myself and uh, us as a, a body and within our community and then even beyond. This is what Paul says. For God is my witness, how I yearn for you with all the affection of Christ Jesus. And it is my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment so that you may approve what is excellent and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. What brings him joy, this joy in the advancing of the gospel, we find in his prayer. That he is stepping into the way of God in knowledge and discernment. And what we recognize is that the way of God that we're seeing in knowledge and discernment is a way of love. He says, I want your love to abound, that it must increase and go further. And there's something that we miss here sometimes. We sometimes will go, yes, God wants us to love, and then there's all the knowledge that we need to get. And that's not what Paul's saying here. What he's saying is, I want you to abound in love, and that love is the knowledge and the discernment. What Paul's really pushing us towards is saying that compassion is more important than cognition, that it's more important for us in our head knowledge. Now, that's not saying we don't need head knowledge. We do. Because we need to know the Word of God. We need to know what He has said. In order for us not to stand up and go, See, I'm a saint, and I'm higher leveled, and I've got more people coming underneath me as the gospel advances. No. We need to know those things so that it teaches our heart to sing with love for all that we encounter. Lynn Kohik wrote a commentary on this passage. And she said this, Paul sees love not as an emotion, but as a state of being. God is love. Christ's incarnation demonstrates that love. And we who are in Christ share that love. We can't help but move into that place. What can happen to us, though, is we can see our knowledge and our discernment when it is detached from love as being sufficient. She ends up putting it this way. They imply that their view of the world is sufficient or satisfactory or perhaps even preferable to God's view. But knowledge without love is like facts without a narrative, like image, without a context, or like existing, without gravity. It's one thing for us to have understanding and knowledge. It's another thing to have that understanding and discernment and knowledge rest so deeply in who we have become that it changes everything about us and pushes us to love only. 
That's the reason why when we read about Paul here, now listen, when we read Paul in this story, when we read him writing this letter, and we see that he says, well, in prison it's good because God's using it to advance the gospel. All of us sit back and go, yeah, good, Paul, good on you. That's what you do. That's nuts. It's n- if you got put in prison, you wouldn't be saying, it's all good. God's got it figured out. We might want to say that. The reason why Paul's able to say that is because he has an understanding and a knowledge, a discernment of God's love. That's the reason why he can say that in any circumstance and under any motivation, I am filled with joy in the gospel advancing. He's in prison. And there are men and women outside of the prison who are proclaiming the name, the gospel of Jesus, hoping that it will affect him negatively while he's in prison. They're hoping that while he's in prison, he will get pushed under, that he might even be abused more than he already is being abused because there are people out there preaching the gospel. Perhaps even they're thinking, well, now that Paul's out of the way, if I start preaching the gospel, I can steal all his downline and put them underneath me. And Paul says whether it's from false motivation or true motivation. How does he phrase true motivation? Love. So whether it's out of hatred for me, or love for the gospel, I rejoice because Christ is advancing. Listen again. We hear that and we go, yeah, Paul, good on you. Apostle, that's exactly how you should be. No, it's crazy. Because our lives and our hearts are filled with a motivation that says, what about me? Come on, guys, think of me. I'm in prison. Come on, guys, think about me and what I've done for you. Don't don't forget about me. Paul, because he's so in tune to righteousness, that right living that comes from knowing and being motivated and discerning the love of God for all. Because of that, he's able to stand up and say, No, I am filled with joy that the gospel is advancing. Whether the motivation is right or not, no matter what the circumstances. I said Jeremiah 9, 23 and 25 were kind of the verses as we open service that we're going to hold in my heart. I, I want you to hear it again. Thus says the Lord, let not the wise man boast in his wisdom, not let the mighty man boast in his might, let not the rich man boast in his riches, but let him who boasts boast in this, that he understands and knows me, that I am the Lord who practices steadfast love, justice, and righteousness in the earth. For in these things I delight, declares the Lord. That's what Paul is doing. And he calls us to do it as well. There's nothing for me to boast about. 
other than the fact that I know and have a discernment of God. And who is God? He is love. So does my life reflect that? Do I move in that way? Not by my own efforts. Not Why? Why do we say not by my own efforts? Oh, yeah. It should be in our own efforts, right? We should be called to do something. If, I mean, if we're called, then give us the task and we'll do it. Why not our own efforts? What does Paul say right here in this letter? Listen. I am sure of this. Positive. Held fast to. I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Christ Jesus. Listen, we move into a deeper understanding and discernment of God's love that moves us into righteousness where we are presented pure and blameless, not by our own actions, but by the fact that Christ began it and will complete it. I think that's part of the reason why Paul can look at these unpure motives that are going on and go, yes, but if Christ began a work in you, I'm okay because I know he'll complete it as much as you're trying to screw it up, brother. He'll complete it. The promise of God is this, that as he is pursuing you, when he has you, he will not let you go. He will hold on to you and challenge you and move you and lead you into deeper understandings of his knowledge and his love. So how can we not rejoice? How can we not have joy? Because he who began a good work in us will carry it on till completion. That he will continue to work in our hearts and our minds to transform us to the very likeness of Christ. So that when he appears, we will know him. Why? Because we will be like him. Wow. So I don't know how you express your joy. Maybe you express your joy by going, woo! <laughs> And I just woke up everybody that had fallen asleep. Maybe he, you express your joy by doing a jig, a little dance. Not going to do that for you, although I'm tempted. Maybe you express your joy by making up a song. Maybe you express your joy by writing out. Maybe you express your joy by maybe you express your joy by hugging those that are around you. Maybe you express your joy by sitting silently and reflecting in your heart and your mind at the goodness of who God is. I'm not here to tell you how to express your joy, but I do want to challenge you and say this. He that has begun a good work in you will carry it on to completion. Get joyful. Rejoice. And not only rejoice because he who began a good work in me, don't be selfish about it. Think about your downline. <laughs> he began it in others. And he'll bring it to completion. I live in a world, you live in a world where God cannot help but continue to work. Why? Because he loves it. And he loves us. So let us rest in Christ in that way. Let me pray. Father God, we pray that these words are your words. As we travel through Philippians in this letter that's written to a particular people at a particular time and a particular place, we pray that we will gather in those things that you want us to hear and know. 
And we thank you, Father, for the promise that if you have begun a good work in us, it will go to completion. Let these words be your words. Father, I pray that they will take root and they will change our hearts and they will bring you glory and honor. It's in your name we pray. Amen.